0: Yeah, the the threshold for a podcast being significant is a lot lower than you expect. Like that the the stat that Neil shared for us was that, according to Listen Notes, at least this podcast is in the top one percent, and we're all thinking that that's super weird. Because okay, I'm looking at the stats now. I had to, to fact check a deal's assumption. Each podcast gets around two to four thousand downloads it looks like and then we have some outliers that are like six and seven but it's in most of them are in that like two to four thousand range it seems so like it just doesn't seem like that much but to your point a deal like one there probably aren't as many podcast listeners as there are instagram scrollers and tiktok watchers But the the thing that I started saying before we hit record was I was having this conversation with another friend in kind of like marketing related work. And he was saying or we we were talking about how a podcast is probably one of the hardest things to grow because people have such a finite number that they can follow. Right. Like how many how many podcasts do you, you guys listen to at least once every call it two weeks? I think I have like three, maybe four. I might. This sounds bad. I'm, I think I have. I, I was gonna one. say this
1: sounds bad. I might not have any. <laughs> I, I I'm very selective I, about yeah. like because uh, yeah. they're at least I found the good podcasts are longer, so they're not you know they're not like the twenty right. minute episode no. type podcasts. I don't really subscribe to any of those for the most part. But even the ones I subscribe to, I'm I'm like looking at the show notes before I click listen for for a lot of them. Unless I have like a long drive yeah. lined up, the, then I'll you know queue up a few and probably listen more than than i normally would but like probably i'm listening to one or two long form episodes uh per week and then you know it's like but i'm but i'm not doing it consistently from like oh it's always a rogan episode or it's always you know a tim Ferriss episode or there there's one podcast though i will listen anytime there is a new episode dan carlin's hardcore history i just fucking love that oh yeah it's yeah. so good <laughs>
0: it's special every, every two, two years, years when an episode every comes junior. out <laughs> <laughs>
2: Those aren't episodes, those are oh, yeah. history textbooks. So they take a yeah, little bit seriously. longer to produce. The podcast is- app I use is called Castro. So it like mm-hmm. puts all the latest episodes into a feed. And then but the feed is different from your queue. So you can actually scroll the feed and see which episodes seem interesting and then drop them into a queue to actually be downloaded and listened to later. So yeah. when I do listen, it's I subscribe to like 20 podcasts. But I only ever listen to like one episode a week or one episode every two weeks, really. It's very infrequent. And it's always from the queue. I'll like do what Neil described. I'll like go through the notes and it's a commitment. It's almost it's closer to reading a book where like I won't sit and read a book from the same author for like several weeks in a row.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. Good that's interesting because like I've never done that either. I've yeah. never listened to the same author in you know for or not listen to w- read a book by the same author like multiple books in a row um, except for maybe a couple instances but I do wonder for a podcast it depends on the kind of podcast but I wonder if like immersing yourself in a world like that is kind of interesting from a like brain food point of view like if you're feeding yourself a certain type of content every day for a week you listen to the same type of content but different episodes what that does to like how you're seeing the world
2: what would be a good one to like trial that on? Like, I for a while I listened to like a bunch of Huberman, and then I was like, all right, like <laughs> I can aspire to this, but I cannot
0: execute on much of this. <laughs> Dude, I I really I really like I really like Huberman. I really like his podcast, and seeing the greater consensus arcs <laughs> reaction to him has been really interesting. Where I feel like it really quickly went from this infatuation to this. Okay, this is too much now. <laughs> like as. It, Yeah,
2: he blew up, though. I think that alcohol episode was like this turning point where before then it was like a few people knew about him. He was like a Lex Friedman type, like highly respected, but like it felt like somewhat, you know, more niche. And then that alcohol episode hit and people who I didn't even know ever listened to a podcast were like, I'm done drinking.
0: (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I think he said or somebody said that was the second most played podcast episode in the world last year or something. What was it was a some line? ridiculous stat like that. Uh, I don't know. Let's see. Let's see if I can find it. I mean, to be clear, it was a phenomenally good episode. Also,
1: the it other was. thing going back to the long tail of podcasts or the the stats around podcasts, while while you look that up, it's also fascinating to see the like content distribution companies versus the independent creators. Like, I wish there was in the rankings you could see. Okay, this is independent. This is through a uh, content distribution company. Because there's some, you know, the content distribution companies, they got like huge Instagram followings or huge TikTok followings, huge Twitter followings. And they basically have like a machine that they're pumping content through. And I mean, not that some of the independents don't, right? Like, I mean, you see Rogan clips all the time. I'm sure that's on purpose. And there's a whole industry around that. But it's just interesting to see. And Rogan's not independent, obviously. He's Spotify. So it's just interesting to see that, like, I wonder how many of that 1% are independent versus content <clears throat> houses. Because, the because and, and I guess that 1%, to Your be fair, too. the number we're talking about is listen notes ranking. So it's not purely based on number of listens. It's also based on like how long somebody listens, the frequency of listens. It, it, there's a number of variables in it. But I would imagine for number of listens, it's probably the content houses do a really good job of driving listens because at least the, the raw number of listens, yeah. maybe not engagement. Um, because that's what advertisers advertise based on. So that's kind of like the variable that I would imagine they've optimized for.
0: Have you compared podcasts or Spotify reviews with the Listen Notes rankings? I haven't, but that would be an interesting, interesting. Uh, <laughs> I, I I'm just doing it. I'm doing it like uh, on the, on the fly right now, and it's kind of interesting. <laughs> it doesn't line up at all. So I wonder if. We just have a super like low review count, or like unreviewing audience, or if listen notes is just like yeah. full of it, or <laughs> it, it's it's kind of. Uh, it's I, I do think I, I do think we have a, a lower review count, partially
1: because when we started, made you think uh, Spotify didn't have even podcasts. I think at that time, and then they didn't have reviews mm-hmm. for a Last long time because because even for like outside the system, yeah. my listen numbers are are significantly lower than made you think but I have 17 Spotify uh, reviews and I think made you think has 50, but like that ratio is not accurate for listens. Like it's not that I'm at, you know, almost 40% of the audience of made you think I'm probably at like 10% or something, maybe a little higher than 10%, but, but yeah, like on a consistent basis, right? Like there's a couple episodes that have gotten a a bunch more plays, but that's based on who I was talking to. And I think their audience, Um, but yeah.
2: Have you guys ever Uh, reviewed a podcast that you've listened to?
0: I don't think so. Maybe <laughs> once or twice <laughs> that's for a to who say, asked. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, could, it could just be like our, our audience and like We also haven't done a good job. Like Based on the way you asked that a deal, I get the sense that you haven't either. No, that's why I feel like a hypocrite when I ask. I, I, mean, know, I you know, I know. I think I did it for
1: Danny Miranda once <laughs> and then maybe a couple other like friends. Yeah, podcasts. same. That's
0: exactly what I was thinking of. I did it for Danny. <laughs>
1: Yeah, great podcast, by the way.
0: If uh, if anybody here, I, I also think we haven't done podcast. a good job asking uh, you for should.
1: reviews in the past. I think we've we've gotten a little bit more frequent about asking for it, but I'm pretty sure like 50 <laughs> out of our 90 yeah. something episodes, at least, we don't ask for a review.
0: Well, we should stop saving it for the end of the podcast and just slide it into the discussion at the beginning of the podcast,
1: <laughs> like yeah. right, like yeah, like, like right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you haven't left a review. Yeah, so totally pause review. the episode.
0: <laughs> well, that's the
2: episode for today. Thanks. God, for
0: that was a slow did. burn, wasn't
2: it? <laughs> uh, well, we do have an episode today, and it's "Crony Beliefs" that. by uh, Kevin Simler. Right, Got Kevin Simler. Yeah. So Yo,
0: we've had this on our list for a long time. We've had it on on this list for a long time, and last night I uh, realized <laughs> that I did not even start the book for this week.
2: <laughs> kind of bi- kind you of busy have, you have a good so
0: <laughs> you have a good excuse i, I have a though. good excuse yeah i have a good excuse
2: <laughs> something happened this week uh, i guess yeah it's still it's still within a week
0: ago yeah <laughs> <laughs> our uh, second daughter was born last wednesday night so yay we've been hanging out with her yeah that, that, that makes sense got, that's yeah, a good excuse right
1: it's yeah. a very good excuse that's a very good excuse. So, bar but yeah,
0: is going forward is what, yeah, that, what that's say? the bar for missing an episode. Now you have to <laughs> have a child, a new human. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to plan pretty far in advance for an episode. You want <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, for context on this article too, we did elephant in the brain as an episode before, right? We did. We did.
1: I think yes. Yeah. One of our more popular ones, actually.
0: Yeah. So if you haven't listened to that episode or read that book and you enjoy this episode or this article, you should definitely check that out because I don't totally know the history or the timeline behind all of this, but Crony Beliefs, the article clearly inspired or clearly was some of the foundational thinking on Kevin's end for a lot of the ideas that went into Elephant in the Brain by Kevin Simler and Robin Hanson. Because y- you yeah. see a lot of parallels. Uh, but I think the, the core ideas in, in Crony Beliefs are so good that they, they warrant an episode of their own.
1: Yeah, they're so good and it's very um, concisely put too. And also one fun fact about this article is if you Google Crony Beliefs, Nat's article about the article comes up second. Right behind really? Oh, that's the great. Article. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a funny oh my god it comes up as the info box for me <laughs> <laughs> i'm the info box and then it's the article I, and then it's my <laughs> review again <laughs> oh my sponsored god sponsored by growth ideas. machine <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you guys know who matt mullenweg is the founder WordPress. of wordpress yeah yep he found my blog at one point and reached out on Twitter. I was like, "Hey, you know, like your blog, really like your book notes." He said the the one he said one interesting thing is that your your review of Crony Beliefs might be longer than the Crony Beliefs article itself. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I probably like it that much." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what's
1: Crony <laughs> Beliefs about? I like, I mean, the way I like to think about at least the concept of crony beliefs, um, at least the way I summarize it in my head, and I know this is uh, an oversimplification, but it's essentially using beliefs as tools. He uses the word employees um, or like, you know, little minions. That's kind of how I think about it. And I I think like the older I get, the more I see this being true, that you are the things you believe, you believe them. Some of those things you believe for like true reasons that are like tied to reality and other things you believe for essentially signaling or alternative purposes. Uh, and I think signaling, that that's one, we'll get to that. But like, I think there it actually goes beyond the reasons that he said in the article, but we can get into that later. But I think, yeah, it's like, you have beliefs that are beliefs for real reasons, for ter- like the actual world works that way. And then you have other beliefs for, to show others that you believe certain things. So it's almost like You can even flatten reasons. it
2: to like you anything you believe is for the purpose of survival. And yeah. sometimes what survival is navigating your environment, so it's like where is the lion's den is the example he gives in the essay. And sometimes it's navigating people. And those are the crony beliefs because it might be that like the belief of where the lion's den is is different from the belief that society wants you to hold. And then you have to make this judgment call and like, well, which one of those is greater of of greater use for me? is actual knowledge of where the lion's den is or conforming to the community that I'm in. And it's not necessarily That's conforming, I, but
1: yeah. I, I like the survival analogy, actually, That uh, yeah. the best. Yeah, because it's it's true, because society will kill you if you are too much of a truth teller. Like, kill you maybe metaphorically or kill you actually.
2: Yeah. ostracize like, you.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like you can't be too much of a truth teller. Like, if your eyes are too open, then that's also a problem because people hate that. And if, you know, but to the other point, like n- literally killing you, like Socrates, wasn't he killed for just mm-hmm. kind of like being Corrupting annoying? the youth.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> asking too many questions. So you can actually be killed for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Kevin gives a few examples of like agendas that we accomplish with our beliefs. He, he distinguishes between... Beliefs fulfill two different reward systems. So meritocracy, where we monitor beliefs for accuracy, and then cronyism, where we don't care about accuracy as much as whether our beliefs make the right impressions on others. And then he talks about what some of those impressions are. So blending in, right, like fitting in with the group and being accepted by them, Uh, but also sticking out. I thought this is like a pretty interesting one because we talked about this. This must have been five or ten episodes ago, but remember when there was the uh, the I support the current thing meme going around? Yep. And then there, there was also the good counter meme, the I don't support the current thing. And it was just all of the opposites, right? But with the same like MTC Wojak face, uh, right? There, there's like that element too, right? Showing that you just don't believe things and, you know, that you're special. Sucking up. Using beliefs to demonstrate loyalty to individuals or communities. Uh, Showing off, like signaling, so showing off intelligence, kindness, openness, cleverness, whatnot. Cheerleading. And one interesting thing that he highlights here is also like self-confidence. Where he says that over-the-top self-confidence is dangerous as a private meritocratic belief, but it makes perfect sense as a crony belief if expressing it inspires others to have confidence in you. So that's kind of an interesting distinction there around self-confidence in particular, and then jockeying for high ground, right? might mean the moral high ground uh, or social high ground. So we, we've, we've talked about this before with like joke policing, right? Mm. Where you have people who are like, Oh, you can't, you know, make that joke, you know, in some other private context. Meanwhile, in their private text messages, they're probably making just as awful of jokes. Yeah,
1: I mean you've definitely seen that over the years. And then yeah, I think there's also like you see that too with just like a lot of the like w- both woke stuff and stuff on the right too. You see you see a lot of that where it's just like, "Oh, I'm more like I'm I'm more left than you. I like, care about people more than you." And it's like, "Oh no, I'm more right than you. I'm more like about personal freedom than than you are." Like there's a lot of the it's almost like a competition.
2: Totally. Do you not care about blank? Yeah, uh, yeah, like, <laughs> dude, that's a the, great way to put it. <laughs> the The politics analogy, I think, is like super clear. The thing that, because I've now read it, I think probably a handful of times. Just every couple of years, it pops back into my mind. This time around, when I was reading it, I was thinking about like the relationship between. Not necessarily cults, but like think of any high passion organization that could be described as a cult. So a startup with a strong culture could be one, uh, CrossFit or, you know, small political movement or a charismatic po- political figure. And how these tie in, where like the cult is basically extreme shared beliefs, but it's stickier when you have some amount of crony beliefs that's more than zero, because then it makes the cult unique. But you can also only take it to so much of an extreme because there's eventually a point where the crony beliefs are too dissonant with reality. And then it kind of like breaks the mirage of the cult and it's the folks who are really good at like towing that line seem to do a better like force of personality kind of a thing. And that could be like the startup CEO who takes the Steve jobs impression too far, right? They cross the line, they lose the charisma and the culture. Um, Or I think we also saw it recently with Trump where like he finally, it seems like he finally kind of, uh, at least I always keep a pulse on like uh, our conservative and sometime over the last year that seal broke uh, where it seems like the crony beliefs just exceeded limitations but there must be some art form to that of as the leader judging where the breaking point is for your followers.
1: Well, it's the reality distortion field, like the whole thing in the Steve Jobs uh, biography. I think that's, that's basically what it is, right? It's, can you get people to overlook the what's happening in reality and, and change how they see reality based on your words. And it's, it's very hard (sighs) to do that in, objective playing fields. So for example, in sports, like if a team was to say, or their fans were to say, oh, we're the best team, but really they have like the worst record. there it's You can't really enlist the crony belief because it's like, you know, if you're a basketball team, it's like, oh, we're the best basketball team. And you're like not in the playoffs, then you're obviously not the best basketball team. Like, you know, you can't, there's an objective reality, I guess that's so staring you so much in the face. And to your point of deal, maybe it's like a, it's probably like, there's just like a tipping point. There's probably a point where, like, up to a point where there's enough ambiguity, you can sway people's minds. But then, after a certain point where, like, reality is too much staring you, like, staring you too much in the face, there's, uh, yeah, you just can't enlist the belief anymore.
2: <laughs> Even for the sports analogy, though, the crony beliefs have to come before the performance. Like, the team has to believe they are great yeah. before they are in the playoffs in order to get there. And that's, yeah, that's the sense making p- piece of leadership, right? Yeah. Yep. To what degree yep. can you bend the, dis- like, we're not there yet, but like, we are we are number one and like scores will eventually match
1: right but i think you can't do stuff like the way that well i guess you can because you do see a a milder version of this in sports where i was going to say the the like election stuff right where like even if you lose you can say like oh well we were cheated right but in the in sports actually people do the same thing like if they lose in a close game you you could say like oh we would have won if they'd made like this call right yeah you can still blame it all this year yeah yeah, so you can still have yeah. the belief that you were the better team, even though even if reality didn't like the score didn't show that.
2: It's like the games where you riot whether you win and you riot if you lose. <laughs> <It's> like- <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: People
1: just like rioting.
2: <laughs> yeah. To
1: to correct something that I said, I think you can't lie to yourself if it's not a close game. Like if you lose like forty two to zero in football, it's not because the yeah. refs messed you up <laughs> like <laughs> you know but if you lose by like one touchdown you could make the argument and say like oh if they'd changed that call or like if they you know didn't cheat like we would have won but there's like a level to which you can you know convince yourself of a different reality
0: yeah yeah well, and that's kind of where some of the like crony beliefs thrive is in that area of ambiguity right like, he, he talks about features that crony beliefs will tend to have. And, and actually, maybe before we do that, we should clarify one thing, which is uh, and similar also says this in the article. Merit beliefs aren't necessarily true, nor are crony beliefs necessarily false. The distinction is how we're rewarded for them via effective actions or social impressions. We can probably say that merit beliefs are more likely to be true, but it's not like necessarily true the case the point the 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 core is like why do you believe this thing and one of the point and so then he goes on to say that features of crony beliefs include them being abstract and impractical right so when there isn't or it's easier to create a crony belief to unify a group when there isn't a clear answer on something and you can come up with a kind of like abstract and hard to disprove idea to fill in that
1: gap yeah, what were you saying before you made the clarification? You're
0: that that's what I was just getting to. Them. Was like what what are some yeah. of the uh what are some of the features cuz you were talking about like the the ref and the football game, right? Where if if you lose 42-0 then it's really obvious like there's no space for a crony belief to like slide in there. But when it's by yep. one touchdown or when when there are a few voting machines that did have issues, right? Now suddenly there's room for like another belief to worm its way in there. He's got some other features. So the benefit of the doubt, basically that we, we overpile evidence to support the thing that we want to believe, right? He says that we put our thumbs on the scale as we weigh the evidence, blind faith, like religious, political, or otherwise is simply benefit of the doubt taken to its logical extreme conspicuousness is another one. So the greater our urge to talk about a belief to wear like a badge, the more likely it is to be crony. I thought that one was pretty useful. Right. Cause if you know, nobody goes around trying to like spread the good word that two plus two is four, everyone just kind of knows that. Right. But if you have something that part of your mind knows might not be completely true, the way to convince you uh, one way to convince yourself that it's true is to convince others uh, of it as well overconfidence right mm-hmm. so if you're overly confident in a belief or somebody seems overly confident in a belief it, they might hold it for crony reasons and then reluctance to bet is another really good one right so if you're reluctant to bet on a belief then it's probably because some part of your mind knows that it's unlikely to be true uh and then he, he ties it all together by saying that the hallmark of cronyism is exhibiting strong emotions, like feeling proud of a belief, anguish over changing the m- belief or anger at being challenged or criticized about that belief. Because if you had a meritocratic justification for that belief, then you wouldn't care very much if it were being uh, challenged if you had to change your mind on it. I like the example he gives. I've mentioned this before of like your kid's soccer game. If you think it's at six PM and your friend tells you, "Oh no, it's actually at five PM," like you're not going to get angry at them and try to like, "No, it's at six PM." Like you're wrong. You're going to say, "Oh, okay, thank you," right, <laughs> and go to the soccer game. I like the conspicuousness point
1: because that's that is something that you see. Like, I, I feel like social media has made this a lot more visible. Like, has made your your yeah. crony beliefs a lot more visible. So it's like and you see this on, on in all areas like let's just go with diet for example the number of people who are carnivore that have carnivore in their bio on twitter is probably extremely high as as it is with probably vegans as well so it's like the somebody eating an omnivorous diet you know is probably not putting omnivore or something on in their bio like it's just not a it's not a belief that needs to be conspicuous whereas those other beliefs it's there's a signaling purpose to putting that in your bio by definition that like, that's why it's in your bio. We're
2: going to flip the script. I'm changing my bio like omnivore middle manager, just (laughs) 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 everything you don't advertise. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) it's late. (laughs) Oh man.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's an interesting one. We, which episode did we talk about this on? They're all blending together, but that (laughs) desire for information and knowledge sharing is such a core human thing, right? Hmm. It's, it's hard to suss out when you're sharing something out of that human desire to like be helpful and show value versus some sort of like self justification and cronyism. It's not even
1: self justification necessarily. I, it's almost like finding your tribe. That's that's how I view it. It's like there's mm. definitely a probably an instinctual uh need to be around people who are in your tribe because it's safer, it's there's a protection aspect and probably a survival aspect. Uh and yeah. that's probably the the purpose. It's like I I'm in this like information forest sharing as a
0: filtering mechanism. Yep. It's kind of an interesting idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Although in the same way it also probably makes you more of a target at the same time. So from a survival standpoint, it's interesting. I don't know. It's like, it's like advertising that you're in this tribe, hoping that other tribe members come, but you probably also find the tribe's
0: enemies now know who you are as well. Oh yeah. I'm sure you've all had that experience before where somebody says something that to them seems like a tautology and that they're just immediately going to get total agreement from the group on it. (laughs) And You either in your head or out loud are like, uh, no. (laughs) It's just this like very strange, awkward moment of like, oh God, where do we go from here? (laughs) Do we have to kill each other now? (laughs) My, uh,
1: my favorite recent example of that is when you posted your TikTok about countdown. Oh my God. And like the responses you got, it was almost like people living on another planet. Like I, when I was reading through the comments, I was just like, I can't believe these are actual human beings on planet Earth, who probably live in the same country as me.
0: <laughs> well, I, I notice it like it, online. I find it's really easy to run into, right? Because of course, yeah. there's just so many people. It the, the in person is always weirder, and it always happens. I don't at like a coffee shop or something, right? Like the the person in front of you will say something kind of. Actually, it'd be it it it's got to be kind of a challenge as a barista right or just in service industry in general where you like end up talking to customers a lot oh, yeah. because people will say kind of like offhanded things that are just casual to them and you have to sort of like generally not react too much right maybe even if you agree with it because you, or maybe i don't know right i just you, you'll hear somebody ahead of you in line say like oh you know the you know like the, the world's gonna end and 30 40 years or whatever so what does it matter i I overheard that one once and i was just like wow this is like a real walking breathing person who's just (laughs) carrying that around every day that's so that's gotta be hard yeah
2: i do think it's interesting in the u.s we've like segregated these beliefs uh, not between crony beliefs and merit beliefs but rather like things that we need to agree on and things that we don't need to agree on well you need to agree on just use a mundane example like the side of the road you're driving on or a less mundane example that we like collect taxes and redistribute money or that, you know, some semblance of like laws make sense for everybody. And then we've just decided like, then there's a whole other category of thing that we do not need to agree on. And that can be like religious beliefs or like differences between states on particular issues and so on. And the line there, I think is actually, like there's actually a lot of wisdom in what's in that line. And what's below the line is like the current beliefs you have to hold to be part of society writ large. Like if you think democracy is a bad idea, then like you probably don't want to be in America. If you think that like making every individual, making their own moral judgments is a bad idea. Like that's also probably you don't want to be here.
0: There's an interesting version of that that I've seen where it's like people in other States trying to control how other States like vote or what happens. Right. Like, people very proudly donating to political candidates in other states and like trying to get to like swing a state that they don't live in. Right. is actually kind of an interesting thing when you think about it. Yeah. Right. Cause it's, you're, you're sort of saying that like, I know better what's best for the people who live there than the people who live there do. Right. Yeah. And there's kind of this like yeah. interesting and that's sort of, I don't know how this works in other countries. Right. But I get the sense the U S is sort of unique in its separation of powers between the federal and state governments, right? Like, do you know more about that? A deal? I, I don't know how it compares to other
2: countries. Okay,
0: but I, I was just thinking, like, because we kind of have the three levels, right? We have like that everybody has to abide by this. The some people have to abide by this, and then you have the full like church separation, right? Where it's like, okay, no, it doesn't. You know, anybody can sort of do whatever they want in these areas, and then it feels like a lot of the social conflicts come in when something exists in one of those realms and some people think it should be in a different one. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's where we see a lot of the (laughs) category. Exactly. Yeah. Some of the social conflicts are like, well, this is something that everybody can to some extent, right. Believe what they want to, as long as they're not like hurting people or, uh, you know, causing harm. But then you have other groups that are like, no, this needs to be like a mandated, you know, Stated belief or something, right? Like the the flow between those areas is actually kind of interesting way to think about politics.
1: Yeah, and the the book we're covering next week actually gave an interesting viewpoint on this for China. Uh, if, if which Nat reads was, it. <laughs> if Nat reads it, <laughs> it is a it is like I don't know how familiar you were uh, with this deal before, but like I it was eye opening for me. It's yeah, about no, essentially awesome. rural. Yeah, it's essentially about rural China. So not, you know, necessarily the cities and the way that things operate there. It actually makes you feel that it's the viewpoint we have of China being this like massive totalitarian, like full control over its people uh, viewpoint is like totally false. It, that might be true in cities, but there is so much wiggle room. And in uh, not to your point of like the things we've agreed upon as a society, like laws and like traffic lights are to be obeyed you know all every country has traffic lights but the agreement might not be that they're to be obeyed they might be the agreement might be that these are suggestions not rules like that's how yeah, it is in india and in china on the traffic yep. light
2: thing is like in america you could be in the middle of nowhere at an intersection and like it's flat it's empty you can see miles in every direction there are no cars and you pull up to a red light and you still stop and it's yep. like in most places around the world, you would just go because the purpose of the red light is not to like worship the red light. It's just to prevent accidents. <laughs> and, yeah, right. you know, that, that, that is a form of a crony belief. You're like, okay, I will stop here and spend my yeah. time.
1: Yeah, It's also incredible as a society that we've figured that out, that, or not figured that out, but that's what we've gotten everybody to believe. And, um, you know, yeah, maybe it's a crony belief, but maybe it's also a useful crony belief because then, you know, you don't assume like that there isn't somebody coming when there actually is somebody coming. And so maybe there... I don't know if that's true. Like, it actually is a useful one or not. But it's it's just interesting that... Adil, totally to your point, like, I can 100% see that happening. And if somebody did run the red light and somebody saw it from, like, a mile away, they'd be like, wow, what a jerk.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you guys take uh, managing across cultures at CMU? No. It, it was one of the easy a business classes but i actually really enjoyed it i didn't have to take it i just took it because it sounded interesting and it was sort of about this about high level cultural differences and how things that are intuitive and obvious to us are not in other countries Mm. and he uses the car example a lot like the stoplights and and how you use lanes right so you know if you're driving in a lot of other countries in the world lanes are kind of like suggestions right or i remember Yep. We visited this is either Dubai or Egypt. And there just like weren't even lanes. And it was a it was like a five lane highway and there were no lanes. It's probably not Dubai. <laughs> and, but yeah, it was wrong. probably Egypt. Yeah, yeah. And our, our driver was just like cruising through it. And I I thought it was the most insane thing ever, right? Like, how do you do that? <laughs> and the, the professor said that if you look at the what a like base sedan looks like that's produced in different countries around the world. That's kind of a hint to what their driving culture is like, because if it's very, very rules based and you can expect that everyone's going to stay in line and like, you know, follow directions and stuff the cars will be bigger and boxier because they can be because you have the space for it Mm. but when it's a little more like chaotic and you have to constantly weave in and out of people the cars are smaller and lighter because you're going slower but you've got to really like navigate between people so you know you can have these like big bmws and audis in germany but you know for going through the little streets in italy you're more trending towards like a fiat or something
2: i noticed that in vietnam where the i don't know what their rules of the road are but like just from a, as a casual observer, I'm going to guess they weren't adhering to the rules. <laughs> uh, but I felt safer there. It was like the level of yeah. competence was higher and everyone was doing logical things all the time. And like you'd have someone who was kind of going backwards through a lane, but they'd be doing it for like half a block on the edge of the street. Where like in America, you would get like honked at and yelled at. And there you were like, no, it absolutely makes sense for this person to do this instead of going all the way around the block. Like they're not putting any Yeah. The-
1: risk. There's also a weird effect that the confidence we have in the rules in the US for driving probably have a yeah. negative effect in some ways because in other countries, if you prettier, notice, nobody yeah. goes fast. Nobody goes fast because yeah. you don't know what other people are going to do. So you're like, there's there's unpredictability built into your driving speed. Whereas I think our driving speed is a lot more based on order, but we're actually not at that orderly. I, I, I was looking at this a mm-hmm. while ago because I tweeted something about the Because, you know, there's certain states in the U.S. that have a higher speed limit than others. So, you know, if you're driving in Arizona, you can go like 85, no problem on the highway. Um, but then I was like, it got me curious. And I was like, I know that on um, the Autobahn in Germany, there's a lot of stretches that don't have any speed limit whatsoever. And if you look it up, people will routinely drive 85 to 100 on it. And they actually have a lower accident rate than we have in the U.S. And I I suspect, based on this conversation we just had that I think they are more orderly as a culture probably than the U S like they probably skew even further to the order side. Yeah.
2: You're not outsourcing your thinking to the rules. Like Angela and I observed this, we were in Istanbul walk along the Bosphorus and it was like, there was no railing between the sidewalk and the Bosphorus. And there were no signs that said heavy shipping, no swimming, none of that. It was just like, it was up to you. So people would just jump off the sidewalk and go swim. And there was a lot (laughs) of like boat traffic, but it was just, It was like, if you were going to do it, you were going to use common sense as you did it and not outsource your thinking. Whereas like in the U S everywhere, it's like no swimming here, no lifeguard on duty, this and that at your own risk. You'd like got a railing and all that, which is in one hand, it's like, it probably raises the floor on safety, but it really caps the ceiling on like independent thinking. It's actually very, uh, in line with like the Adler whose task is it where Mm -hmm. it, kind of takes the task away from the person and says like you would never not you would never but a very common thing i think that reveals this sort of thinking is if you say well they were supposed to do that right like imagine in the traffic mm. sense like someone does something like oh that. yeah yeah in, in any other country you would consider normal but over here you're like oh but like you weren't allowed to and you weren't gonna do that and like well you should have just looked at the road like it was your task to prevent <laughs> your car from
0: colliding with another vehicle
2: like it was so task. Yeah."
0: I, I don't know if this is still an active campaign anymore or if it was just a, a thing at the time. But there was a lot of uh, there was something about there was a lot of pushback against seatbelts because people thought they would increase injuries and increase deaths because people would start driving faster and more recklessly because they felt like they were safer. And. I mean, you couldn't really run that experiment, right? Because if you stop wearing your seatbelt, well, everybody else is now adapted to a seatbelted world. And so they're driving way crazier than they would if they didn't have seatbelts. But there's something about that idea that is a little bit compelling, right? Where it's like, oh, yeah, we probably did start driving a lot faster once we were belted in and felt like we could more safely do it. Yeah. You have a baseline amount
2: of risk that you're willing to tolerate. And you'll adjust yeah. your behavior to always hit that baseline risk. And if you have a ton of protections around you, then you'll just do riskier stuff so that you're at that the, risk level. The risk level is a constant, actually. The behavior is variable.
1: Yeah. I've heard the same thing with uh, like for gun safety, like having a safety on a gun hmm. actually can increase the amount of uh, accidents, accidental shootings that happen. Yeah, because if you, a lot if of, you don't a lot have of a safety, don't
0: have safeties. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people who are like uh, gun instructors or shooting instructors will, you know, actively, I mean, the guns they teach on might have a safety, but they always teach you to assume that the gun is off safety. Like you're not just going to point it at somebody just because you think it's on safety because that causes that actually causes more accidents. Because if somebody doesn't have a safety on the gun, there is there, you're never going to make that assumption that this gun is on safety and I can safely point it at someone. So you'll never point it at someone. Whereas people who might have that backup of, oh, it's on safety. Like, yeah, what if you're wrong? Like that, you know, one out of 100 times you're wrong and you've now pointed it at someone and you have an active, you know, an active gun pointed at another person. Whereas if it's, yeah, if it doesn't have a safety, you'd probably never do that. There's no situation you'd do that by accident.
2: The tie-ins between... This whole conversation, cars and crony beliefs, and country driving is actually surprisingly strong. Uh, well, I,
0: yeah, I, I really love, I really love this kind of like theme of how different cultures think about rules and like power, right? Because it it is actually as we're talking about it more, I'm thinking about how interesting it is that the U.S. prides itself on democracy, but the Individual decision making and autonomy is actually quite a bit lower, yeah, than it is yeah. in many other cultures, but, right? Like there's a section, like, I, like I'm thinking about the
1: there there's a section now. from the book. There's a section from the book that we'll we'll get when you get to it <laughs> about um what people do who are kind of cheated in business, right? Or like for as an employee, you know, they they get their employee contract broken in China, and you would think China has a very strong central government. They would just go to the government and be like, hey, this, you know, this company has violated my employment contract. But basically the government, the people there view the government as very, they they essentially say the government can't do anything about it. So they've developed all these other tactics to figure out how to get paid. Like there was one instance where the guy was like, you know, if he'll like leave stuff in his company dormitory and like go to and, you know, say he's visiting his family, kind of like put the company in some pain, essentially, by him not yeah. being there, if he's being like underpaid or paid late and stuff. And they've like developed all these tactics outside of going to the government, which to me was shocking because, you know, you think of China, China's strong government. But no, it seems like it actually isn't that strong from a individual level. Like there's a lot of stuff the individual has to do that isn't outsourced to the government. Whereas here, we would say we have a very individualistic viewpoint or, or society, not collectivist. But those kind of things, like I feel like if you had a company that owed you, you know, twenty thousand dollars of back pay or something, you would go to like small claims court or something if they were not cooperating.
0: Yeah, it's like a parenting yeah. thing too, right? Teaching your kids to solve their problems versus appealing to authority. Right? Because you see this with adults too, right? I mean, this is what a Karen is, right? As soon as something doesn't go their way, they immediately ask for a manager or somebody else to swoop in and fix their mm-hmm. problems. But that's not really a competent adult, in my opinion, right? Like to whatever extent possible, you should be able to fix things yourself. Uh, but when you live in a culture that is so rules-based at the social level, it is pretty easy to outsource yeah. your thinking and your problem solving to rules and the makers of the rules.
2: When to the tail end of COVID, when I I had COVID. And then it, you know, they say like, oh, for a few weeks after, you'll get weird results on your tests. You might test positive, but you're not positive. You might test inconclusive, um, so on. So I got a doctor's note because I was planning on traveling internationally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, just show this note when they require a test. And it just like the degree to which the US was so hyper bureaucratic, which like, I always intuitively knew, but I, I never felt in a very annoying way was... When I was trying to, like, I took my test to get out of the country for my flight, and it came back inconclusive. And it was this colossal, colossal pain to get on the plane. But finally, I, like, managed to, like, navigate that, and it was like, oh, but this isn't written in the rules. It's like, we don't know if we can accept this note. And, like, I was like, but you see the note, and you know what it means, and you know what the intent of the rule is. So, like... You should be able to piece those things together. And they're like, Yeah, but it's like not in the booklet. And I I get it, right? Because like everyone's doing the individual, like everyone's navigating their own situation. And from their perspective, they're like, they don't care if a deal gets on the plane. They just care about like these are the rules that I have to abide by to keep their job. So I, I totally understand that piece. But the incentives just end up all wrong. We land in Chile and they're like, We need to see your American test. And I show it to them and they're like, Why is it inconclusive? And I show them the doctor's note. They actually have like an airport doctor. So that guy shows up, he reads the note, and he's like, yeah, this makes perfect sense. Like, welcome to Chile. <laughs> it was like five minutes. Yeah. It was so chill. And from the outside view, it would look like they were being, air quotes, less safe. But they were actually the ones in line with like the science. It wasn't just like some book that yeah.
1: somebody wrote.
2: It is so bureaucratic and frustrating.
1: Yeah. No, uh, Adil, nowhere do you see this more, I think, than in the healthcare system in the US. Totally. Right? It's not just... Uh, I don't think it's just COVID. I think COVID like exposed it to a lot of people because it was the first time I think a lot of us were uh, directly interfacing with it in an extended, like in a way that affected our lives on a day to day basis. But even like when my dad was in the hospital, some of the stuff that they do as part of normal procedures makes just no sense. So one of the hospitals he was at. Every hospital, if you're in the ICU, right, they'll take, like, a blood sample in the morning and a blood sample at night to basically check for, like, infections and your your complete blood count and whatever. At this hospital, which is a very well-known hospital in D.C., it was at Georgetown, right? So, they took a sample, not just from one part of your body, but they have to, by their rules or whatever, have to take a sample from the left side of your body and the right side of your body. And... <laughs> It makes no sense because you have a circulatory Does that system. Make a it's
0: a, <laughs> yeah. No, we asked other hospitals, so we actually end up transferring hospitals. It's, it's like your through. brain meal. You've got the right and left hemisphere of your circulatory. system. It just system. <laughs> made no
1: sense, and you would like talk to the nurse about like I did. I did BME at uh, like biomedical engineering at CMU. I'm not saying I'm a doctor, but like I took physiology. I took like a lot of biology classes. I don't think that makes a difference. And you talk to the nurses, and the nurses, know it doesn't make it. They're like, yeah, it's just the rules, like. And you know if you're in the ICU for a so long crazy. time, that's now four blood samples a day times you know how many days you're there. You're losing a lot of blood, and you're already weak because you're in the ICU. So it's one of those things where after a few days, I was like, "Why are we doing this? Like this makes no sense." And the nurses will tell you it makes no sense. Like they're like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't understand either." But it's the rules. Like that's the response that they give. Um, like there's no agency, right? To have your own like, even if you know it's wrong, you're. You know, like they're not stupid. They, they they, they, may individually know it doesn't make sense, but they're just following whatever procedure was put in place, which may have been put in place like many, many years ago. just was never updated.
2: And it's like the same practice that at some point, it's the same bureaucracy that at some point was only doing good because we were starting from no bureaucracy and then just like never stopped, right? right? And there's a
0: point where you're like, okay, that's it. That's the bureaucracy. Like no more. Well, and I think... This is kind of an interesting thing with the medical profession too, and tying back to the coronary beliefs side, right? Like it, if your if your goal is because I think a hospital's goal is probably more risk mitigation than health. Maximization, yeah, especially right? especially
1: Nat because of I think like post Obamacare they get dinged for hospital acquired infections. So there's like, Mm. like they can't bill. I was thinking like
0: malpractice and stuff too, right? Like, like, I think it's always riskier for them to do nothing and to do less than to try something. Right. And And so the
1: added with the added benefit of you can bill for anything you do. So and you can bill, exactly.
0: But (laughs) I was just saying, like the crony belief there, right, is like, is even on a higher level than with some of these nurses, right? Like. Everybody in the hospital might know that they don't need to do mm. this left, right blood draw, but it's better for them to like, and this isn't exactly a crony belief, but there's, there's this element of it with probably a lot of medical stuff too. It's better to like believe we should keep doing it because it's riskier to stop doing it, right? Like, I, I think that that's kind of a common theme with beliefs in general. And it, I, I think similar mentions this in the article, right? Like the resistance to change. It, it almost always feels riskier to change a belief than to keep going mm. with the one you have, mm-hmm. especially if things aren't bad, like if they're at least fine, right? I, I feel like this is kind of why you, you'll you hear – is this an AA thing? I think it's an AA thing where you, you almost like want to hit rock bottom or like you have to before you can have real change. Mm. Maybe it's from something else or from – Like some form of therapy or something like I I know I've heard this idea before as a form of like, like productive rehab, like people often don't really change until something like truly terrible happens because you, you know, bringing in the crony beliefs, you might need something strong enough to like upset that order that then makes you seriously question like which of these beliefs you're holding on to and whether or not they're really serving you.
2: He says this in the article too, where it's actually from the outside, very difficult to discern what is a crony belief because the Mm -hmm. motivations for beliefs are so complex. Like with the hospital case, it actually might be a crony belief because maybe the, you know, whoever's in a position of authority there really believes in like the abiding by the rules as like a matter of principle or like maybe they wrote this particular rule or something like that. Right. And you just from the outside, it's impossible to discern what their day to day is like.
1: There also might have been a reason originally, like, I mean, we we forget because it was kind of right before we were all born, but like the whole HIV thing was a huge issue. So I wonder if maybe yeah. there was something related to mm-hmm. that. Like, like I don't know, there could be a reason why the rule was put in place, but then it just wasn't updated for, because cause we talked to other hospitals and, you know, we have family members who are doctors and stuff and they're like, yeah, this used to be a thing, but this isn't common anymore. Like, I don't understand mm-hmm. why they're doing it. Uh, So it seems like a non-update. Like that's what it basically came down to. Nat, to your point about changing beliefs, there's also a boiling the frog type of problem that can happen. Like Mm -hmm. to your point about rock bottom, right? It like, you need to have something happen where I I look at like diet in the U S like diet guidelines, for example, uh, for this, where it's clear that something is wrong, right? Based on the results, like lifespans aren't going higher. We're very out of whack with other countries that have similar income levels like something is wrong, but it's not, there's not yeah. been an event. There's no like one year, the life expectancy went down by 10. It's like every year, it just gets like slightly worse. Slowly and that's chipping not away. Yeah. slowly chipping away. And then it's it's like, there's no motivation to change because you haven't had that major event. It's, it, you know, we're like, okay, we can just kind of keep the same general guidelines, even though clearly something's not working. Because there's no uh, extreme event to the point of rock bottom. Like, we haven't hit rock bottom. Yeah. It's like a high fu- highly functioning alcoholic or something, <laughs> almost.
0: Yeah, yeah. It is, like, the, the health one in particular, though, does feel like it's getting there, right? And yeah. in the sense of, it does, it almost, I've been thinking about this more. It feels like there's a, a, like, greater American immune system, right? Like, a psychological one, hmm. where the The human population as like an entity knows something is wrong f- like physically and health wise, but then that leads to like it's almost led to all of these different experiments to try to figure out like what that might be like i don't I don't think that the anti vax crowd and the like keto crowd are actually that far apart psychologically in mm-hmm. the sense that they both perceive some serious impediment to our health in our environment and they are aggressively attacking what they believe to be the source of that like in you know that poor health outcome and in both cases there isn't a ton of like formal scientific evidence to support it and so they're just you know you kind of have to run with it and there's probably like 20 of these going on right now right it's like the glyphosate one is another interesting one right where it's like a lot of people are glomming onto that and for a while it was low carb and now maybe it's like how much time you're spending in the sun right or like sitting is the new smoking right like it's just kind of interesting that you like the crony beliefs can almost be a stand-in for until you get the evidence or like it's hard to say whether it's like a hypothesis or a crony belief right like you can kind of almost say uh, you kind of almost don't know until later well i think the crony belief that's it's 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 crony if you don't really
2: believe it, right? You're like it's, pretending It's to crony it. if you don't test it. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're it's right. Crony I'm, if you I'm, don't I'm test it. i using the term right. wrong.
0: Yeah, it's crony if you don't test it. I think like something the reluctance that reluctance me up
2: a little bit about this is like crony beliefs are like phony. I don't know if it's because of the rhyme, but it kind of distorts mm. the definition in my mind. Uh, But I think you're right at like the system level you end up it's either like reform or revolution right the collective psyche can like tolerate some amount of non-change and then you either need to be making small changes throughout or you don't and eventually it's like fuck it with the whole thing and yeah and they uh, Durant touches on this where there's like the system either borrow from each other or
0: get overthrown. This was in um. There was this idea in Flying Car, too, right? That we can actually have a lot more institutional decay now that the overthrow option has, like, somewhat been nullified, at least from external forces, Mm -hmm. right? It's just kind of... We're we're getting some good tie-ins across the different books and articles recently. I know. Good good internal (laughs) hyperlinking.
1: Yeah, Yeah, going back to the willingness to test thing, that would be... I mean just staying on the diet one for example you know the yeah, low carb
0: like that's a good point you
1: you end up testing i think the best the best way to kind of see if you actually believe some one of these things or if it is a crony belief is are you willing to to test it like for example um uh, i think all of us have probably tried like low carb for a while or, or you know maybe you, you haven't but you know i've noticed that i felt better like at least eating some carbs you know i i, I don't go and like carbs are definitely not my main food group but i think i need like at least maybe because of workouts or whatever i I didn't do well with under 50 like i felt that i 50 grams like i thought i i felt less energetic but i you know i tested it and i didn't make my identity low carb but i think if i had i might have lied to myself essentially and been like oh this is part of what what it should feel like like this is my body in ketosis and like this is you know my this is what it like is designed to feel like and that's probably uh that would be a crony belief i think that would be the distinction. Well, there.
0: then, especially if you're like a an influencer for a certain lifestyle, <laughs> right? That's then true. You get locked in. in. Yeah, yeah. you get really locked in by your audience because they get almost angry at you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you like say, if okay, somebody is like carnivore and then live.
1: eats a, someone's a carnivore and then eats a fruit. Like, man, good luck.
0: <laughs> I th- I thought that is allowed on the carnivore diet now. I feel like it. Oh, is it okay? I've I never tried carnivores <laughs> <laughs> The official guidelines I think changed. The official I think suddenly guidelines. Real. Yeah, the official guidelines changed. The ACA. <laughs> uh, Trump created space force and carnivore force. <laughs> Carnivores. All right. All right. I'm done. We can move on. <laughs> <laughs> What were you gonna say, Adil? I'm trying to remember.
1: Oh um, <laughs> no. Man, we Quite need to get you some like nicotine gum or something. Like uh, <laughs> this is the second time in this
0: episode. T- <laughs> Adil's got some serious brain fog. He probably needs to go on keto uh, or vegan or <laughs> uh, get your weekly point. booster. Very <laughs> anyway.
2: <laughs> I remember that one. That one's for later.
0: <laughs> I just love when a deal makes the eyes of me. He really put these on. He <laughs> put these on YouTube.
1: Yeah, Adil is a very expressive face. He's either making eyes at Nat for saying something inappropriate or uh, (laughs) he's making a face that's like very insightful. And then he doesn't have a point because he forgets.
2: We do need to record that Brutal. one because that happens like every episode or two where it's usually I'm responding to someone else's insight, but I appear to be generating my own. and <laughs> The, the dissonance between the speaker and the listener is at its greatest.
0: <laughs> There's also the excited finger wag, right? <laughs>
2: yes, <laughs> I have a thought. I'm going to start turning my video off.
0: Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Oh,
2: what I was going to ask was, what what do you guys think is the line between a crony belief, and I don't know what to like, how to brand this one, but something like you you have a terminal illness and you have like the belief of uh, that you'll overcome it, right? It's like mm-hmm. almost a incepted, like I don't know, positive placebo, something along those lines. Yeah, that, that could be like a crony belief,
0: but it could be a useful okay. crony belief.
1: <clears throat> a useful crony belief.
0: I, I actually I think know, yeah. this is this is like one of. It's not a problem with the article, but it's something that I've thought about since and that I, I have to remind myself of is that the word crony is in some ways problematic because it implies bad, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We, we associate yeah. cronyism with something really negative, right? It's somebody who you pay in government to like break the rules, right? And like, you know, upset the system. But a lot of crony beliefs are actually pretty useful and good to have, right? Like. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is a simple one, right? It's like if you're in, if you're married, right? Like you should believe that you guys are going to stay married together and love each other forever, right? But that is statistically a somewhat crony belief, but that's true. It's still a good belief to have, right? Yep. Like you, you shouldn't wake up every day going like, all right, 50, 50, you know, uh, we'll see. (laughs) I mean, uh, the world would not be better. I think if we had purely meritocratic beliefs. And your life would not be better. your life would no, not be your better your life would either. be way worse, right? Yeah. Like, that would just be a terrible way to live. I mean, you, you you want... There almost needs to be, like, a third word, right? So there's, like, good crony and bad crony. There's, like, you crony and... neg. What What's the... You, you crony and de-crony or something, right? Like, you stress and de-stress. You, you need, like, a, a further branching because a lot of them are really, really good ideas to hold on to.
1: Yeah, there's like the whole. Yeah, that's a great, uh, definitely a great one. I mean, it's like a spectrum in the sense of like you can be a purely rational, objective human being, or you can be like, this is probably not the other end of the spectrum, but it's the first thing that comes to mind is like the secret, right? Like you believe it, it becomes true. Mm -hmm. But I think there is something to that related to the reality distortion field where by believing something like, for example, I would, I would imagine by believing that marriage, like your marriage, your particular marriage, not necessarily marriages, but your particular marriage will last, probably leads to a higher likelihood that it lasts. I don't know for sure. Totally. Which is why it's like a crony belief. And it's, you know, one of one. So you can't really test it. But I would imagine that that there's like a feedback loop there that by believing that it makes it more likely to be true. And I think that's true for a lot of things like and you can You can proactively do that as well by changing the things that you feed yourself. Like a simple example is uh, like there was a few months ago, I was like very much in like, okay, I'm going to pull back on work kind of thing. Really just like, you know, I have a lot of other things going on. going to just really enjoy. I was listening to a lot of stuff from like Paul Millard and like reading his book and like putting myself in that mindset. And it made me enjoy that part of my life. More And then, you know, I feel like I'm in a different phase now where I'm working a lot more than I was working before. But like, I want to be doing that. And I'm, yeah. you know, reading different things or listening to different things that help me now. And I, I think this whole like, I, I know I shit on The Secret. I think we've done that on a bunch of different episodes before. But there but there's something to that end of the spectrum that what you believe does uh, influence the results yeah. in reality. But it's not how the book I, says I, it. It's... It's uh, it's a little bit more nuanced than that.
0: I actually like that in Scott Adams's book, like how to fail at everything and still win big, or whatever. Oh, I didn't read that. When he talks. I didn't read that. It, it's pretty good, you know. And he he's turned into a little kooky of a character in in some regards, but the that that book had some good stuff in it about him, like becoming a, you know, he created Dilbert, right? How he got there, and he said that he would like he would get to his. Middle manager, or whatever job that he hated early, and go to the bathroom and stare at himself in the mirror and just say, "I will be a great cartoonist," like over and over and over and over again. And he did like that like, affirmation, every day, for... basically. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was something crazy. I'm not going to get the number right, but it was like 10 years. He said that to himself in the mirror every morning. Wow. Mm. And then it was like 10 years from when he started doing it to Dilbert getting picked up by the New York Times or something like that, right? And he he at least was very i think strong in his belief that that is part of what led to it and his point to what you were saying neil was like when you're saying that to yourself every day like you look for confirmation of it in your environment right you're like oh you know this is what a great cartoonist would do or like this is helping me be that person mm-hmm. there definitely is some power to it i feel like where it goes wrong yeah <clears throat> is when you think that doing the affirmation is the work, right? It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. I've like fixated on being like super healthy, really hard and I'm done. Okay. I'm going to go eat donuts. Right? Like that. That's, I think where it gets unhelpful. It's
2: similar to the James clear atomic habits, like identity piece. Like it's not, I'm quitting smoking. It's I don't smoke. Yeah. So it's like, it's like the crony belief becomes part of your identity and then reality catches up.
0: Totally. So yeah, we, we need, I'd be curious if, uh, I'd be curious to hear what similar things about like the use of the word crony. Yeah. I think
2: Simler. you're still right though. I'm like chewing on the rest of our conversation now, like before you made that point, And like, we were always looking for negative examples. Yeah. yeah so many There's po- so many positive yeah. ones. The self-fulfilling prophecy thing. Like you see this in teams and organizations all the time. Like once it's like the team doesn't really die until the team believes that they have died.
0: Humans too. Right. Like, you know, there, there's so many examples of people dying right after their partner dies, right. Mm -hmm. Or dying right after they retire. Or I remember like when, when my grandfather had lung cancer and he was really sick, he, he held out for quite a long time until we visited him for Christmas. And the day we visited him, he like got up and walked around and it was like the healthiest anybody had seen him in months. And then he died the next day. Right. It's like your body can hold out for quite a bit. I think if it, you know, believes that, you know, that, that belief is so powerful, right? Like that, that, that really is kind of the, and actually he does kind of talk about it in the article too, because he says that you can also use crony beliefs for, although, you know, he, he mostly uses it in group settings, right? He doesn't talk too much about truly trying to convince yourself of a crony belief for your own, yeah, I mean, he talks more about the social, the social. Aspect. He talks yeah. more about so the social, crony. and I guess that's what the article yeah. is really about—is about social beliefs. Maybe that's so it why might just not be in the scope.
2: Yeah, there's probably a third level in between crony beliefs and merit beliefs, which is what we're actually talking about, which is like, yeah, potentially positive, but not necessarily true, or not necessarily like aspirational credible. beliefs. Oh, no, aspirational
0: is yeah. not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And then crony is a subset of like potentially true. Sorry. Yeah, potentially true, potentially positive. Um, but it's like implanted from the outside. You're like doing it
0: to fit in. Mm, yeah. I love this article. It's just yeah. like yeah. That, that term is so useful to just keep in the back of your head as a heuristic too. All right. And like I, I, I use it to check myself somewhat often. Right, mm. It's hard to do it in the moment. But afterwards, if I like notice something really annoyed me or really pissed me off. Right. It's like, okay, like what? Belief or identity thing was that attacking that made me uncomfortable, and that can be a useful exercise to do.
1: Yeah, and yeah. and an uncomfortable one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's useful. Usually not comfortable.
2: Yeah. I, I don't know why I'm blanking on this. I really am foggy today. What's Buffett's partner's name? Munger, Charlie Munger. Munger. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> Bad day. I
0: gotta get that. Uh, gotta get that oh, gluten can. out of your diet, <laughs> Uh <laughs>
2: But well, I, I feel like this pairs well with his like you should be able to argue your opponent's side better than them. Yeah, it's probably it's a good way of out crony beliefs.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you can't do that yeah. honestly, then you probably don't have good reasons for believing what you believe. Yeah, which yeah. I think and is like slightly- kind of the interesting thing with. Oh, go ahead, Neil.
1: No, saying that's, that's probably a really good uh, way of thinking about it. It's, it, it is, it th- is. I think. If you can argue the other side as well, I also think that makes it less likely that you think an issue is very black and white because when you truly yeah. understand the other side, there's. I mean, there are some things that, in life that are black and white, but a lot of the things that we argue about, we argue about them because they aren't black and white and there is actually kind of good logic on both sides.
0: Right. I, I think that there's a it's like an intellectual immune response to the perception that somebody is. And this is just kind of like talking about straw manning and stuff. Right. But if you strongly agree with somebody, then you don't care if they straw man. But when you disagree with what they're saying, if they straw man, the opposing's argument, like that creates its own kind of crony response. Maybe not even crony. It just pisses you off. Or it just makes you distrust them because it's like, okay, they're, it's like a tell, right? They clearly don't actually know what they're talking about if this is how they're going to present the other side. Which is kind of what you see with these like very narrow influencers, right? Or it's like if somebody's whole identity is like X lifestyle, then they're going to present the opposition to that identity in kind of like a straw man fashion, because their audience will really like it, even though people outside won't. This article
1: is short. I feel like people like it's yeah. it's not, it's you know, a reading. book that we're recommending. It's yeah, certainly not it's an, an hour and a half long, long
0: to read it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's okay. People are, people are here for the tangents.
2: I would love to read the book. I actually haven't read the book and didn't realize it was Kevin Simler.
0: Yeah, it's quite good. Oh would definitely recommend.
2: What's the level of overlap between the essay and the book? Is it like the book just expands
0: much further or? the book talks about so the the book is basically all about these hidden motives that we have. And I mean, I think this is the subtitle hidden motives in everyday life. Mm-hmm. And so the the elephant in the brain are the like ideas and thoughts that we don't want to acknowledge, right? It's like the elephant in the room, but it's the elephant in the brain, right? It's like yeah. all of the we have all of these beliefs and superstitions and ideas that drive our behavior, but we don't want to acknowledge them because they say something bad about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so crony beliefs are kind of a subset of that, right? Where it's like I only believe x because it's useful to fit in in my community right like i don't really believe that the cracker is the skin of christ but i'm going to like do it because that's like how i be part of this community but then there's a lot of other areas that he gets into right like w- one example that i remember is like schools colleges where he says that you know everybody knows on some level that going to an ivy league isn't about the education right it, and it's obvious that those institutions don't even care that much about education because if they did, they would use all of their money to create more universities, right? But what we all know deep down is that going to them is a useful signaling tool, right? It's going to like provide these other things, even, you know, even though, you know, the education quality might, might still be good, but that's not really why you want your kid to go there. But we don't talk about that. And that's not what's in the handouts that gets sent, you know, home with you. That's not what the uh presentations stuff are about everybody pretends like this isn't just a signaling tool even though we kind of (laughs) like all know it so it's a lot of it's about a lot of those kinds of aspects of life that's an interesting uh, divide go ahead neil
1: yeah no saying that the um the the idea about like i guess beliefs and signaling i thought of another example as you were talking it was Think about the ridiculousness, and this wasn't true in Austin, but definitely was true in in New York and and like most of the East and West Coast during COVID, where people would wear a mask to go into a restaurant and then take it off as soon as you sat down to eat. Dude, it and didn't
0: transmit if you were sitting.
1: Of course, <laughs> you were only it's, contagious it's, standing up. <laughs> of course, but but I think like what, so the thing that's funny about that is like whether somebody was like left, right, pro-vax, anti-vax, whatever. That would be the first thing people talked about when they sat down at the table and took off their mask. Everybody knew that was bullshit, right? And like, yeah. in some ways, it almost created, uh, it, it, it almost gave like a, like now reading this China book, like almost gave like a China type vibe of like strong central authority with rules. But then you just follow it just enough to not get in trouble. Uh, and then, but everybody knows some it's Some of those bullshit.
0: rules were so funny. <laughs>
1: but here's the thing right if you went too far outside of that and you just were like i'm not gonna enter the restaurant i'm not gonna do this right like then you almost called too much attention on yourself and you would be a little more ostracized i think even if everybody else in that restaurant believed including the people enforcing the rules that this is Mm -hmm. not legit you're just almost calling too much attention to yourself
2: I felt this when we were in Chile, where it was something like when you were out outdoors, no matter who was around you, like no matter how crowded the space was, everyone wore masks. And it, I don't think it was actually mandated by any kind of rule. It was just like a social pressure thing. And the first day or two, we didn't. And then there was a day where I was like, I'm starting to feel uncomfortable. Like I'm happy to be in like a minority where it's 60-40, but it's like 95-5. And yeah. Yeah. so we started wearing That's masks. Yeah.
1: yeah yeah that you're right it's there's a line
2: and this was like after vaccination this was after like we were outside it was like every check every box for like you don't need to wear a mask and it, even if we complied we were like all right I just I don't want to be the five percent
0: yeah that that would be another interesting cultural study is like where is that line for most people in the culture right and like like I think in the u s it's probably a pretty low threshold, right? Or at least depending on the state, right? I mean, there there were plenty of people in Austin who had no problem being some of the, like, few who were walking around without masks in large groups, right? It seemed pretty common, but, like, you know, where where is your personal line? Is it 2080? Is it 1090? At what point does the majority kind of overwhelm your feelings about it? Because, yeah. and th- there's probably a, wait, isn't that one of the big five personality traits? Yeah. Uh, is that disagreeableness? It might be disagreeableness, hmm. right? That's probably already a way to measure this, but it'd be interesting to see that for cultures, right? Like how high disagreeableness or whatever are Americans versus Chileans, right? And how did that play out with some of these choices?
2: But that's one of our, like, that's one of our collective beliefs as a society is that like, disagreeableness is a virtue
0: well yeah and that actually might tie into what we were talking about before too right maybe a high disagreeableness culture needs more rules because otherwise people will just like be chaotic <laughs> but in a in a higher conforming culture you don't need as many rules because people will like follow social pressures yeah it's kind of compelling that makes sense
1: i buy it yeah
0: i do i do buy the theory that Americans are uniquely crazy as a culture because we're all descended from people who are crazy enough to come over here. So,
1: yeah, I mean, that makes complete sense. Yeah, yeah. It's like a self-selection. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so part of its culture and then part of its hereditary and then they feed each other at the same time because there's probably some level of of, uh, genetic like influence as well. Like how, I guess, disagreeable you are or how and, and maybe it's not just genetic, but even how your parents raise you. Right. It's like if your parents are more open to standing out and being disagreeable, you might too. You yeah. just see it as an example.
0: <laughs> I'm looking at my elephant in the brain notes right now. If, if you're, if you want to decide if you should read Elephant in the Brain, you can Google Elephant in the Brain summary first and you'll find an or excellent synopsis the of the, <laughs> yeah, or listen to the episode. Um, there's this really funny line. In many ways, uh, your, the job of your, your conscious mind is not to make decisions, but simply to defend them. You are not the king of your brain. You are the creepy guy standing next to the king going, a most judicious choice, sire.
1: <laughs>
0: it's like in Lord of the Rings.
1: That uh, That's exactly uh, what I was thinking. of. <laughs> yeah, what's his name? <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, what was that king's name? The king of, like, Rohan, Well, the right? king was, that was the- Boromir,
0: right? No, not Boromir. The king... Rohan's king was, um... I can, like, imagine uh, his face. It's the guy who looks like Loki
2: is the one who sits next to him.
0: Yeah. Is it Wormtongue? Who sits next yeah, to him? Yeah, you? yeah, That's yeah. Like, yeah, Wormtongue is the advisor, right? Yes, Yeah, And the king is... <laughs>
2: uh, I can't remember. Wormtongue. Uh, the name is between some of the, uh... Lord of the Rings characters and Harry Potter characters are like, just close enough where you're like, just close <laughs> enough. Yeah. <laughs> this year's the
0: 20 year anniversary of Return of the King. Wow. Time flies. That's crazy. We We looked this up the other day. How long ago do you think the first Harry Potter movie came out?
1: Mm.
2: No idea. Probably about about twenty years, probably right. Maybe twenty five years. Let's That's say ninety. That's a
0: great
1: question. Fifteen, twenty years ago. Twenty years ago.
0: Yeah, We're it's like twenty two. It's two thousand one. Twenty two. Yeah, twenty two okay, years. Wow. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I remember you guys. You guys saw the HBO is doing a, a reboot of the Harry Potter series, right? Yeah. And at first, I was like, "That's dumb." Like these movies just came out. Like, why are they doing that? And then I looked it up. I was like, "Oh wow, that was twenty years is actually pretty good." That's way better than Spider Man or Batman or (laughs) anything else we keep remaking. And Spider Man is like a year and a half. Yeah. I guess Batman is the one that keeps getting remade. Now Michael Keaton's coming back. Like you could have like a soccer team, just some guys who played Spider Man. Man, why aren't there new? Why aren't there new stories? Why is everything? Yeah, remakes and sequels. You know, that's probably actually a financial thing, not a creativity thing. I bet it's much easier to raise money and greenlight a production where you know the IP performs well than to try something new.
1: Like Fast like, Ten is out this year. That makes
0: total sense. Yeah. Well, but those movies are awesome. Yeah. You know, I actually haven't or, seen one. You've never seen one? <laughs> are they uh, worth it? Yeah, wa- watch one okay. and then skip to, like, I, I like three. A lot of people don't like three. Dude, uh, I didn't think two was very good. good. But you could, like, watch one and then skip to four. Should I just watch I the prime-numbered ones? Like, <laughs> Dude, <two laughs> Actually, is there great. is something like that. Yeah, two the prime number ones are usually the better ones. <laughs> or the odds. You likes Two? Oh, okay. All right. I like two. Right. I guess like I got to watch all ten. I like yeah, all I of just ones, watch them. All. I actually think one is a little
1: overrated.
0: <laughs> well, one is just slow. I mean, the, the thing with those movies yeah. that I like, I really respect because I think it's so cool is like the guys who make them, they make so much money that now for every movie, they're just like, okay, we've got $100 million to throw at this. What crazy shit can we come up with? <laughs> right? Like... Yeah, we're going to drive cars yeah. out of planes and attach parachutes to them cuz fuck it. <laughs> if you know what you're getting yourself into, you just complete suspension of disbelief and have fun. They're wonderful yeah. movies cuz they're I mean they're actually like yeah. really well shot. They're really well produced. Mm-hmm. Like the writing's fine, you know, the editing is great, the scores are fantastic.
1: Like <laughs> they're just fun. And they'll always have random uh guest stars in it too. Like there will be like an yeah. MMA fighter
2: <laughs> the two franchises of this nature i have a lot of respect for are mission impossible and john wick in, in mission impossible
0: i think john wick is a different breed i'm going to disagree on john wick well i i just think that like i don't think john wick is so much having fun i think it's like super intentional world building and like like this very specific art style that feels a little bit i, I say mission impossible is in between the two
2: the category I was defining was like series that I'm surprised have lasted this long. Sorry, I wasn't super clear about the category. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, I watched John Wick 4 with no expectations and it was the best one. And I was like, how is that possible, right? Like, <laughs> in Mission Impossible, we were advised to watch them in reverse order yeah. because each one is better than the last one. So if you start from the last one, Eventually, you'll hit the worst one you can tolerate and stop. So we did like six, five, four, and halfway through four, I was like, "That's enough. I'm done." <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> yeah. When they restarted with four, it just got so much better from there. I feel like two and three were just okay for Mission Impossible's. But <laughs> all right, should we wrap up here? I guess if you uh,
2: enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Spotify.
0: Uh, help us boost our numbers. Or iTunes. Or iTunes. Yeah. Yeah. If everybody left a review right now <laughs> we would have a lot of reviews
1: <laughs> I
0: don't know where I was going with that I had a deal moment there
2: <laughs> yeah I'm like known for the worst things just <laughs> brain fart tech issue <laughs> oh
0: man oh, a deal have you uh, have you not been sleeping well did you just have a newborn <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, off the nicotine gum that's, uh, that'll do it <laughs> uh. alright and next week we'll be country driving
0: country driving alright I do actually have it <laughs> I think I got it, I yeah. it. <laughs> that's the it's first good. step <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, I'll find it uh, but yeah thank you all for your support if you enjoyed this also just send it to one person who you also think might like the show yeah, Neil's on a crazy delay now. Sorry, <laughs> Neil, <laughs> you've, you've been cut off. <laughs> uh, but yeah, send to somebody who might like it. Leave a review. Uh, you know, we normally say hit us up on Twitter, but I'm not on Twitter anymore. Are you guys still on Twitter at all?
2: I like once every week, maybe.
0: Yeah, I like check it once a week, and there's still nothing going on there anymore. Substack Notes is not bad. I I, I was talking about this with another friend. Like, I think. The only problem with Substack Notes is it's still all of the like nerdy front of the kit front of the class look how smart I am kids hmm. and we don't, it doesn't have Twitter's like back of the class edge yet it needs it needs a little more of that spice we need we need Jack Reigns to start doing some shit posts or something to <laughs> get it going but it has potential
2: yeah it's my favorite of the spin-offs like it's better than yes. Blue Sky I really like Forecaster, but it's a little too crypto-centric still yeah i think Notes has potential I am. Well, thanks for tuning in, and I would check out Crony Beliefs. It's a 20-minute read, so if you made it this far through the episode, it's worth reading the source material. Yeah, you can definitely read the article.
0: (laughs) All All right. Thanks, guys.